Welcome to Respect My Crown. I am Jillian J.J. Simmons. Respect My Crown is a community designed to support women who the abundance that awaits them. We know that right now is the time to manifest our visions, realize our dreams, and accomplish our goals. Respect My Crown is a support system that encourages women to deepen in spirituality, sisterhood, accountability, and service. We are in Domestic Abuse Month, October, and we have been talking to some amazing women this month who are in the fight to advocate for domestic abuse and to spread the word on um, mental health. And I'm so honored to have this woman on our show today. She's a licensed professional counselor, keynote speaker who speaks on a variety of issues, domestic violence, women's issues, spiritual issues, mental health, self-care, transformation. How is it that she can speak on transformation? Because she's a transformation expert, okay? And you're going to find out more about that a little bit later. She's a professor, uh, an advocate, a trainer. Uh, Simply put, she calls herself a servant. She's helping you to shift from where you are to where you are destined to be. Dr. Shana has over 20 years experience working in mental health and uh, working at schools and community health agencies. She is also the founder of Her Voice, which is a 501c3 dedicated to empowering survivors of domestic violence to live healthy lives through mentorship and education. And do you know that Dr. Shana is an author too? She got two books. Get Your Life, the journal. Get Your Life, the blueprint. I need the blueprint to get my life right now. (laughs) Both of those are available on Amazon. Please welcome Dr. Shana Lewis to the show. How are you? I am awesome. Thank you so much for having me today. Super excited for this conversation. Me too. You know, I've not met a person who works in domestic abuse who didn't have a story to tell, you know, our passion Mm -hmm. sometimes comes from a place of pain or life experiences. Why is this cause so near to your heart? You know, that is something I get asked often. And because I work with so many women who have foundations and organizations because they are survivors. Well, my passion for this field actually came from the work that I was doing with my clients. So um, over the course of time, I've been a clinician for 20 years, Um, about uh, 10 years ago, I went into private practice working for myself, and it was at that time that I began to create a niche, a specialty of working with women and adolescent girls. So 99% of my clients are either women or girls. And so over the course of time, really what happened, it was about a year span of time, I had three women all from different walks of life, different stories, all suffering inside of violent relationships, some of them physical, some of them emotional, mental, um, financial, spiritual, in different ways. And as a helper, with all of my degrees and training, I was helpless. I had no clue how to assist her. And that's literally why I am Dr. Shana. It's because of me not knowing how to assist them that drove me back to school to see, okay, what did I miss? There's a class I didn't take. And in doing that, I was uh, struck 
by the thought that not only do I need an academic education about this to see what research says, but I need to be able to touch her. I need to be able to help her in a different way. And that is literally how her voice was born because I needed to find another way to assist her. Counseling is important and she still needs that, but she needed something else. And I learned in research that the when she leaves those two years, she's the most vulnerable to return. And the the impact or the power or influence of another woman who has also survived well outweighs what I can do because I'm not a survivor. So I had yeah. to create a way to put them together. And that is how her voice was born. Wow. I love that. You know, I commend you for that because it is challenging for sometimes for therapists and counselors to really understand what yeah. is happening when they have not experienced it. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, yep. Especially the why, because, um, you know, I hear this all the time. And I, and honest to God, I was one of those people way back in the day before I had even experienced domestic abuse. I was the person who was judgmental who was saying I don't understand why she just don't leave like what is the problem I mean the man is hitting on you or you know or you see men in abusive relationships too like why well why like just go and mm -hmm. until I actually entered into an abusive relationship where I felt I could not leave um I didn't know you know, I just did not know now. And now I know, I know why it's so, mm -hmm. it's so hard, but can you share with the listeners today on some of the reasons why uh, women typically stick in these relationships? Yeah. And that's such a loaded question because there's so many um, answers to that and everybody's answer might look completely different. Um, and one of the things that, and let me say this first and then I'll answer the question. I want to encourage listeners to not ask her that question. Why yeah. Why do you stay? Why won't you just leave? Because when you ask her that, you blame her for what's happening to her. Yeah. As if she somehow asked for it, created a situation where now she's being abused. So it's a blaming kind of a question. But when you look at the, you know, the, the thought process behind the choices women make when they're in these relationships, uh, my research actually speaks to um, what it is that we're talking about. And one of the things that I found was if a woman has children with an abuser, it's much more difficult to walk away from that relationship. If she has, well, and I say children, let me say any kind of what we call an entanglement. They live together. If they yeah. share business together, if they work together, if they go to church together, if they have children together, if they're married, I mean, if there's things that entangle them together, um, it's much more difficult um, of a process to walk away. Um, because for many women, you want your children to grow up with their father. You want them to have this relationship. You know, we're living together. Who going, if I walk away and my name is on the lease and who going to pay the rent and then my stuff is ruined and you know, those kind of things. It's so many things to consider. Um, what I found was younger women, um, in that 18 to 24 range usually hadn't gotten so entangled. So if she decided to walk away, it was a cleaner kind of a break, which is a better scenario. I don't have to worry about kids. I don't have to worry about finance. I don't have to worry about places where we live. I don't have to worry about any of that. 
the other side to that that can make it a struggle is just the emotional impact of a woman being destroyed in her mind. So mm-hmm. I say I define domestic violence as a systematic way of destroying a woman from the inside out, from the inside yeah. out. And if she's destroyed so from true. the inside out, she can't make those rational choices that we would say that only makes sense to walk away. Yeah. You know, I'm glad that you brought that up too, because there are so many people who don't believe, especially in the urban community, that if it's, if it's not physical, then it's not domestic abuse. Mm. You know, it has to be. Physical. And, um, and, and you and I both know that it starts with mental and emotional and verbal abuse before it even gets physical many times. And you'll start mm-hmm. to see it, you know, well, we, we ignore the signs, we brush those signs under the rug. But I wonder if you can give a couple of examples of what those other types of abuses are so mm-hmm. that we don't take those things lightly. Yeah. And, you know, that is so important because you're right. If we don't define it correctly, then we don't do anything about it. So I teach folks all the time, the way a woman reconciles what is happening to her will determine what she does about it. So if she calls it a bad day, then it was just a bad day. It wasn't something I need to do something about. Um, So being hit is not a necessary condition to say a woman has been abused. If any of you have ever heard of, if your listeners have heard of the cycle of a, of abuse or you've heard of the will of control, you will understand that abuse takes on lots of forms. There is emotional, there is um, psychological, there is verbal, there is spiritual. Obviously, we are aware that there is sexual and physical. These things look like name-calling, you dumb, you stupid, you ugly, um, there's a control factor where you go to work, but you bring me your check back here. Let me give you an allowance. You go to the store, buy the groceries, come back and bring me the change. Where somebody controls what you wear, they control, you know, why are you wearing that? Go change. I don't like that. Or I don't like your friends. Don't she, She's jealous of you. Don't talk to her anymore. She's jealous of our relationship. That's why. And they cut you off from your family. They cut you off from your entire support system. That's not by accident. That is systematic. Um, yeah. Because a woman isolated is much more vulnerable to whatever it is the truth is that he has to give her, as opposed to what other people might say that might go up against that. So there's so many ways it happens spiritual where you don't believe in his religion, but you're made to um, do, abide by the faith that he has. And it goes against everything you know to be true. You don't get to make choices for yourself. You don't get to decide where you go. Um, you're cussed at, yelled at. And see, that's something in a lot of communities where we just think that's how we relate to each other, where we cuss at each other, we yell at each other. No, that's abusive. Yeah. That's yeah. abusive. It is. I can imagine that women probably stay in relationships thinking they can fix it and bring it back mm-hmm. to what it what it used to be. When you have clients that come back to you and they're, you know, they're like, Well, we worked it out. <laughs> we worked yep. it out, you know. How mm. do you get them to see what's really happening? And you know, is it even possible? Yeah. That's a tough one. Um, and, and that's one of the spaces where I was perplexed as the helper, which really is what started this whole journey for me. 
because I had this um, client and she came in and she shared with me episodes of abuse that had happened. And then this one particular episode, she had blacked out. She doesn't remember all of the details, but she remembers being drug upstairs. She showed me the bruises, a gun being put to her head. All of these things occurred. So that was, let's say, today's Tuesday. And then the next Tuesday, everything was okay. So at that moment, I'm thinking, okay, I've missed some fundamental piece here, something because seven days ago, there was a gun to your head and you were drug up steps. But now a week has passed and somehow everything's okay. Lost. Totally I was lost. I didn't. There was no logic in that at all. And it let me know that there's something about her thought process at this time that is fractured. Because what I understand is that when women are in this situation, they literally are being shredded piece by piece. And when you're shredded from the inside, piece by piece, things that logically would make sense, it doesn't appear in the same way because you're convinced of something different. You know, if if he has control of your mind, he controls everything else, your choices, your decisions. But what you just said, though, JJ, actually speaks to this as well. And, you know, she wants to remember or get it back to the good times because everything wasn't bad. Everything's not bad. And that's yeah. the thing. She's remembering, you know, well, there was flowers and we dated. And many abusers are very charismatic, very well liked oh. by the public world. Yeah. <laughs> Extremely. Yeah. And other people would never believe. What? Oh, he did yeah. What? Like, I can't yeah. imagine. One thing it's I admire right. about you is is her voice is, you know, mentorship and education. And I love, I love this so much, Dr. Shayna, because it is so important for these women to be able to help other women who, mm-hmm. you know, and, and be able to share their testimony. But tell me a little bit about her voice and, and how the program works. Okay. Um, so It is the mentorship program parallel to Big Brothers Big Sisters, which is something most people are familiar with. Um, Community-based in the sense that we have women, you know, of all walks of life who are part of our organization. Um, The woman who has been a survivor and out of her violent relationship, no matter what kind of abuse it was, whether it was physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, financial, regardless of the type, she's been out of it for at least two years, is able to mentor a woman who is recently coming out of that violence. So I said earlier, my research has um, shown me that when the woman exits a relationship, the two years that she leaves, she is the most vulnerable to return. So that's why her voice is placed in the gap to help connect her to a woman with lived experience to help her walk through that, to keep her out of the cycle of violence, out of questioning herself. Well, can I really do this? She was told that she couldn't. And now she's on the other side thinking, can I? Questioning her capacity and her ability. So what we do is help them um, connect them to women who have been trained, because we train our mentors as well, um, to work with other ladies that are walking out of those relationships. And so that's one tier. The second tier or the other tier we have is mentoring young girls, because what I know for sure is that if 
I don't prevent it, then I've missed something. Because you want to save some young girl from ever experiencing this in her lifetime if we can. So we want to mentor girls who are on, um, who may be at risk. And and really, the woman 18 and 24 is the most at risk. So we need to start earlier than that to educate her. So those are the two ways that we help address um, the issue of prevention, intervention, um, education, and recovery are our pillars that we work from um, throughout the year. I love it. I love that. That's it's, it's different. I've never seen a program myself like that. Mm-hmm. That's kind of set up like the Big Brothers Big Sisters, and it's just. Mm. I mean, having that you know accountability partner. Yeah. It is so imperative and it can, it can make such a big difference. What I've found through my, um, I do self-love coaching and mm-hmm. uh, most of the women that I coach are women who have come out of um, abusive relationships, specifically narcissistic abuse. And so mm-hmm. um, I hear them say all the time, you know, they just want somebody to tell them they're not crazy. They just want somebody yeah. to say, like, I get what you are experiencing. You're not mm-hmm. crazy. You know, you're mm-hmm. actually, you're fine. And someone who can help to build them up because of what they've experienced has broken them down, you mm-hmm. know, so much. If people mm-hmm. who are listening right now want to find out more about the mentorship program or, you know, are, are you, are people able to participate um, and mentor others? Yeah, so if you're interested in learning more, just visit us online at her-voice.net, her-voice.net. So what we do, so we have the mentorship program locally here in Houston, and also we have a a spinoff group, which is more of a global kind of a group, and it's called Her Sister's Keeper. And that's a space for women across the country who want to be involved in the movement. And it's not just a woman who's, suffering from abuse, this could be a woman who survived anything, because what I know, if you're a woman, you just survived something, because it's hard being a oh, woman yeah. in this world. <laughs> so we, yes. we have to support each other. So we created this other arm called Her Sister's Keeper that allows women across the country to support each other, where we do webinars and things that are virtual that women everywhere can participate in. Um, and so there have been a few times, and it's kind of a case-by-case basis, depending on what the circumstance is we have had women who weren't in our local area that we would have a mentor talk with by phone, even if she's not here, um, to support in that way. So that is a possibility case-by-case basis. If she needs really in-depth services, then we'll want to refer her to a local organization where she is. But if this is something that may assist her, then we're open to doing that as well. That's wonderful. Yeah, I'm learning so much uh, about the services that are available for women. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, just the other day I was talking to the ladies at um, Precinct 7, the constable's office, and, uh, yeah. and they were telling me how, you know, women, there are so many people who don't know what resources are available. So, for example, you know, if you need to go to a shelter, And, you know, they say that a shelter is full. You know, there are shelters that will put you in a hotel if their shelters are full or, um, you know, or that the shelter can come get you. Most people think they have to find transportation there, but a shelter can actually Mm -hmm. like I'm learning so much. And it's and and 
I really want to get the words, you know, just like you and, and her voice, having these organizations that are able to give, you know, this immediate support to these women mm-hmm. is, you mm-hmm. know, they just need to know about it. They need to know that these resources are there because I know how hard it is to feel like hopeless. Yeah. That's, that is it. It's thinking you don't have options and you don't have choices and you have no resources and you actually do. And you sit inside of something and put your life in danger every day. Because this is what we also know, JJ, is that women will return seven to 11 times on average both to a violent relationship within that two years we were talking about earlier before she stays gone or she is killed. Women are dying every single day. In Texas, we have the number one record, which is a horrible record to have, the highest number of homicides related to domestic violence. That's not a record we want to have, but we do. Women are dying every single day. So she has to know that she has resources. So I really applaud you for having this kind of conversation in a way that's globally accessible so women understand you got resources. There's so many. There's national ones and then there's local ones. So definitely, you know, being connected to resources, even knowing that there's an option is something I want her to know because she doesn't have to sit inside of it. She doesn't. Yes, I love it. I had the pleasure of speaking at Dr. Shana's event. Um, we were just talking about it was June, but it seems like it was just it was just the other day. Yesterday, yeah. And, um, it was amazing. Uh, we, a lot of young people there, and uh, also there was a, a workshop for parents as well. And you know, trying to get parents involved has been a challenge. Um, mm-hmm. because, you know, I mean, there's a whole bunch of reasons when we talk about certain communities, we have single mothers who are, you know, working several jobs. Um, some of these, uh, when we talk about generations, like, you know, there is still a generation that feels like you should stay with your, your man, no matter what, you know, mm-hmm. and that's, that's, a, that's a, a challenge that's right there. So it's so important that we kind of break these, I'll I'll just for the sake of it, call it generational curses, you know, where we want to break these chains for these young people. You know, um, what do you think right now when we talk about mental health issues are some of the issues that are affecting our young, our young ladies? They struggling, JJ. You know, they struggling. they struggling. They are. And, you know, it, it, it's for several reasons. Um, like I was saying earlier, the young woman 18 to 24 is the most at risk for violence um, in, a, in, a, in a dating relationship, for sure. She's very, very vulnerable to that. And, and, and for her, she just left home. She's on her way to college, perhaps. She may be a senior in high school. You know, we, we think we've grown. We can decide for ourselves, that kind of stuff. But you're the most vulnerable to being preyed upon by someone who um, has ill will and intent for you. Um, One of the things that other young people are dealing with, you know, mental health wise, in addition to even dating violence, um, anxiety, depression, suicide, you know, we don't talk about this stuff enough um, for our kiddos. And And I think as parents, we don't know enough to have the conversation. We don't know yeah. the signs. We don't know the symptoms. So what, what we call it is a bad attitude, 
somebody who's disrespectful yeah. or they lazy or, or you going to do, we miss that it's a sign or symptom of something else. Um, yes. And those are problems. So they go untreated. Yeah. Yep. They do. And we got to fix and so it. So I really encourage parents to get information, ask questions. The biggest mistake a parent makes is not asking the right questions to your kids. So, you know, a kid comes home from school and we say, how was your day? What is a typical answer that a cool. kid's going to give? <laughs> yeah, it was cool. It was all right. It was good. Like, my kids love good. But they know now yeah, good, good is not an answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it don't fly. So you're going to have to give me some more words to go wrap around that. Didn't my son, he think he's funny. Oh, great. No, no, you don't trade good for great. <laughs> that doesn't work either. No. You know, these kids, um, right? Yeah, that's, that's, you got to love them. I was yep. on a radio program a couple of weeks ago and a guy asked me, I did a video blog on this too. He asked me, what age do you start having these uh, tough conversations with your with your kids, mm. uh, and, and you know, in regards to to mental health, and and I was telling him, you know, now we're having to talk to them even younger than before yep. because they have so much access, and we we don't even realize as parents. I know this, uh, how traumatic just social media alone is for our mm-hmm. kids. Like, think about mm-hmm. this, you know, mm-hmm. in, in the last couple of years, my goodness. I mean, it seemed like there was a, a man getting shot by the police everywhere. And there's videos everywhere. We have yep. a president that is sitting in office right now mm-hmm. who it's just Tweet. blows my mind <laughs> that yeah, mm-hmm. tweeting and just the, <laughs> the comments that come out of his mouth it is traumatic. Yep. We are hearing about school shootings and that stuff is yep. all over Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Yep. And we didn't. So, you know, our generation didn't have this access. Mm-hmm. And, you know, either we watched it on the news, but even still, it wasn't you would never see an actual video of someone nope. being shot or, or, you know what I mean? And it's just, yep, they're experiencing so much more. They are. And that's what's creating the higher rates of anxiety. Anxiety is the number one diagnosis for young people. And when we think about that, much of it is what we call kind of what, we, what you just described. These are the traumatic things that happen in our, in our world that we all get a front row seat to and we were nowhere near it when it happened. So I wasn't at the school shooting, but I felt like I was because the news played every single video of it for like two weeks. And I got to see it over and over and over again. So what happens is you vicariously traumatize your children when they watch these things. And I'm not saying shelter our children from real life, but I'm saying we need to be a little bit more protective of what we expose them to and how much we expose them to their yeah. brains aren't ready for oh, all that yeah. it's not even fully developed yeah. so it's a lot yeah it is and I think that's the tough part of knowing what is too much and what is yeah. not but I think engaging in those conversations so you know last year Dr. Shane I like to tell this little story about my daughter she so last year she was 11 mm-hmm. and going on 35 and y'all girl tell me I got one too (laughs) (laughs) so I'm coming out of this abusive relationship 
And I'm sad, even more sad that my daughter witnessed it. She mm-hmm. witnessed a lot of things I wish she would have never seen. Mm-hmm. But I am, I am a transparent person, period. And I believe mm-hmm. because that's how we grow. And I talked to my daughter about it. And my daughter did something that just amazed me. She went to, she, she came in my room one day. She, she, was, she said, I went on the internet and I found this article on what to do when your mommy is depressed. And it says mm. that you should dance. Like you should take your mind off of what's bothering you. And so you should dance, like do things that are fun. So wow. for months, I'm not even playing with you. For months, we would do these little dance breaks just out of the middle of nowhere. Like we could be really, in line JJ. at Whitney's and just, she'll be like, time for break a dance break. Break out in a dance. <laughs> oh my dance. goodness. I love that. Out you of the know, mouth of babes. And, and, mm. Yes. And mm-hmm. I was so grateful for the access that she had mm-hmm. that you could actually go and search. She kept calling mm-hmm. it depression. De- she couldn't say depression. She kept calling it something else. Depression or something <laughs> else. Right, but I knew what she was right, talking baby. about. We got, she, <laughs> we got it. We got it. And mm-hmm. you know, she bought me journal for mother's day i read that if you are depressed that writing your feelings down will help you and i was wow. like oh my god but this yeah. wouldn't have happened if i didn't mm-hmm. share with her what was going mm-hmm. on you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, i'm okay mm-hmm. and we're gonna be mm-hmm. okay you know but mm-hmm. sometimes it's tough you know to know what what is too much to share and what is yeah. enough I mean, how do you decide? Yeah. And, you know, and that's a fair question. And part of it, there's, I think there's pieces to that though, or layers, because it depends on the child because every child is not at the same maturity level. They're just not, they can be the same age and you can have a really immature um, 15 year old, or you can have one that's pretty mature. I mean, we all come here differently. So I think that's part of it, of knowing your child. I think the other thing is, is what I typically do first, if there's something, or I suggest parents do as well, is if there's something heavy you want to talk about, ask the child what they know about it first. Before you impart information, see what they already know. Um, And a lot of times they know more than we think because they watch. Yeah. And they pay attention to quite a bit. And we might be surprised, like, oh, you saw all of that? You heard all of that? You know (laughs) All that, like, okay, I thought I was doing a pretty good job, but then you find out, okay, they're very intuitive, they're very bright. Um, this, like you say, they're tech savvy. These kids, they don't miss, like, I call my daughter, she's a reporter, honey, she don't miss nothing about nothing. nothing. If you want no details, <laughs> you go ask that one. So, you, you got to know your kids, first of all. And yeah. when you find out what they know, then you work from there. You work from yeah. their knowledge bank, not from your own is how I would describe that. And and then add information or inform based on where they are. And if there's pieces that they really need to know they don't know, then deliver that in a way that's age appropriate to the extent yeah. that they can handle it. And to keep that conversation open even at the end of it. If you have questions that come up later, you can always come back and talk to me about it. Always. Yeah. Just check in about those things. So, yeah, that's that's a good question. Yeah, that's so good. That's so good. Um, Dr. Shana, I could talk to you for like another 50 I minutes. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. Uh, I really do. I, I'm just so grateful to have you on the show. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about your books before 
uh, mm-hmm. before I let you go. Um, get your life the journal. Get your life the <laughs> blueprint. So tell me, tell me the difference between the journal and the blueprint. Listen, they all going to help you get your life together, honey, because I just believe we got to have a great life. See, we live in stuff that we got because of what we think we have to do, but you say you got choices. We always do. So the, this series, um, my first um, um, books that I self-published, the series is all about helping us learn the things that we need to know that keep us from having the life we want to have. So in the blueprint, I talk about <clears throat> Some key things. You got to face your fear. You're going to have to deal with your pain. You got to figure out what your purpose is. And then you also got to figure out how to get that mind right because change your language, change your life. And I mean by head language, what you say to yourself, what you think and you believe is major. So the book talks about those things. How do I address these things? How do I create a healthy um uh, self-talk, how do I create boundaries that are good for me to help me create a life that I can feel good about? And the journal is kind of, a, it's more of a compliment because it's a 90-day journal where every day has a different um, quote. Um, some of them are mine, some of them are other people's that I give credit to, but it's a quote and it and it walks you through creating a thought for each day. So you reflect on your day, whatever goals you have, because the beginning of the journal is going to ask you what are the things you want to address in the next 90 days. I believe that we have goals that are too big or too vast or too long. We don't ever actually accomplish them. So the yeah. next 90 days, what do you want to see different? It helps you identify them and you track them throughout the journal. So you are accountable to yourself every day. This is what happened this is what went well. This didn't go so well. This is what I'm going to do tomorrow. <laughs> you know what I mean? Good. To get that life. Yeah, I so that's what it's that. about. I need to get that. I need to get that. Oh, you got it. It's, listen, it's done in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so serious. I yours. love to journal. I love, you know, I, I'm a goal-oriented person, and I'm extremely mm-hmm. structured. So I'm the person who's going to really do the whole book. You know what I mean? Like I'm not, you know, going to start and then stop because I just, Mm -hmm. I love structure and and being able to kind of use it as a diary and go back and see, like you said, okay, so this didn't work and that's okay. So like, let's see what we need to do. I love that. I love it. And they're available on Amazon. And how else can uh, people reach out to you and connect with you? Well, I am on social media at Dr. Shana D. Lewis on Instagram. I am Dr. Shana D. Lewis on Facebook. I am also online at um, www.drshanadlewis.com. That's D-R-S-H-A-N-A-D-L-E-W-I-S.com. You can find me on all of those platforms. Um, I am definitely accessible and ready to help anybody that I can. I'm so about helping women and you know my latest movement is being extraordinary living this extraordinary life I want us to be our best versions of ourselves JJ it's time out for sitting inside of mediocrity and some foolishness it's time to move yes it is it really is and I am right I got your back on that even though I forgot to post my flyer on the right day but you gotta that's all right that's all right all over the place and I want y'all really Please follow her on Facebook because when I tell you, Dr. Shana, 
be dropping these um, Facebook lives <laughs> all the time, and you will get addicted to watching them. You're like, what's she going to talk about today? So make sure you, you follow her. I appreciate yes. you. I always end my podcast with having my guests give an affirmation. Uh, hmm. It starts with I am, and then you fill in the blank. And just why is it that you need to hear this specifically? Mm. Wow, I have so many that come to mind. But um, the one that just pops out to me is that I am extraordinary because it's my birthright, because I have learned to walk in my purpose, and because I am a servant that gives back to women in this world to help them to get to that place too. I am extraordinary. I love it. You are extraordinary. I want you to know that too. Thank you, JJ. Dr. Shana Lewis for being a part of the show. If you want to learn more about Respect My Crown, uh, here's some of the podcasts uh, from, you know, our second and first season. You can go to respectmycrown.com. You can also learn more about our events and uh, products and all of that good stuff on the website as well. Respectmycrown.com. I appreciate you. And um, Dr. Lewis, we'll talk to you soon. All right. We sure will. Take care. You're tuned in to Respect My Crown, the podcast.